There is no greater love than to lay down my life for my Savior. What would happen if your personal focus shifted from the internal to the external, from yourself to the world around you? Would you lay it all down as a sacrifice to Jesus? Would you dare to take a step to go where he says go? Would you go tell others the good news that Jesus is alive? Would you do whatever it takes, whatever it costs to serve him, to witness to the world around you? Would your prayer be God, here I am. Send me, use me for your glory. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you. My name is Jack, and uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be amongst a group of people who are so passionate about what God is doing around the world, and uh, your heart and hand and resources have joined us in our work throughout the Himalayas. Um, 25 years ago, I thought all of my Earthly dreams had come true when I finally got my own cubicle in an engineering firm in, <laughs> in Phoenix, Arizona, and I really thought that was my world. And uh, I was invited, conspired with a couple of friends to go to the Himalayas and just enjoy the beautiful scenery. There was no missional purpose whatsoever. I was a very nominal Christian who just kind of fit God into some weekends. And uh, we set out on a 21-day trek in the western part of the country of Nepal. And four days into our journey, ascending up a mountain, stayed in a small village uh, for the night. And during our time of dinner, two men entered the village with approximately 30 children, ages 5 to 15 years old, both boys and girls. And the men uh, who I got into conversation with openly and told me of their intention to take those kids and to sell them into brothels in Bombay, India. And uh, as a young man who was just starting out a career, um, it intersected with a part of my life and my past that unearthed a uncontrollable flow of emotion inside of me because of the abuse that I knew they were going into. And I had a breakdown, really, uh, uh, right there on the side of a mountain. And as had been my method for coping with most problems, I ran. And so I got my backpack, put it on my back, and ran down the mountain, went back to Kathmandu, jumped on the first plane that I could find, and headed straight back for my cubicle, and thought that I could shut the world out, that I could shut my pain out, that I could go, could go on with how I wanted to live my life. That lasted about three minutes, and um, I ended up writing a resignation letter to my boss and handing it to him, and went back to the Himalayas, and that was uh, just over 24 years ago, and that is where I'm still working to labor for the needs that are so abundant amongst children living out throughout the Himalayas. Half of them die before their eighth birthday. And there are a staggering number of interconnected issues that need to be addressed on the road to addressing their hearts and their souls and the message 
that God has put in our heart of his love for them. And so it's with that that this beautiful congregation has joined us. Uh, there have been teams that have come from here and uh, walked uh, arduous paths throughout the mountains and joined us in delivering that tangible hope with eternal results. And I'm so grateful for your partnership with us today and into the future. This morning, uh, I'd love to uh, talk just a little bit, some out of my own walk and the things that God has been doing in my life. Uh, probably about 23 years ago, someone put a book in front. As a matter of fact, I found it on my desk uh, um, as I was living in Europe at the time. And uh, it was a book by uh, an author named Andrew Murray. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or his works, but it was what I would consider to be one of his greatest works. It's called The Holiest of All. It's an expository work on the book of Hebrews. And it, it began to uh, open my eyes to a reality in Hebrews that I had just never seen before. And um, uh, I, I began by the aid of that book and by certainly the help of the Holy Spirit and God's Word to see that the ministry of Jesus Christ that was here on earth 2,000 years ago, as glorious and as beautiful as it is, that there is something perhaps even grander than what he accomplished on Calvary at the cross. And that is what he is doing today from the throne. And that Christ in all that he secured for us on earth is now delivering to us by his constant intercession on our behalf as our great mediator and high priest in heaven. And that if we will, yes, look back at the power of the cross, but also look up to the living fellowship where God wants to, through his son, cause his life and his benefits and the power of a new creation to flow in our heart in living reality every single day, there is an empowerment that comes to the Christian walk that is beyond something that is mere earthly and that we can begin to realize the rights and the privileges and the benefits that God has afforded to us as his children in the package of the new creation. And so every day is a beautiful exploration of the infinite riches that we share by, become, by becoming partakers in the divine nature of God, Second Peter chapter 2. And uh, that journey is something that we will actually never come to the end of. For all of eternity, we will constantly be in awe and in wonder that God would bend down so low and wrap his arms around us through the work of his son and bring us into eternal fellowship with himself and then share his very nature with us. It is something that is glorious and that we don't need to wait until we get to heaven to begin to experience. And that is what Jesus is doing on our behalf. But as I have sought to make that my pursuit by the aid of the Holy Spirit, I've realized, and certainly in the book of Hebrews, that there are a number of warnings that God gives us. And specifically in the book of Hebrews, there are four warnings. And we won't go all into them this morning. I just want to very quickly look at one of them because... I know that it has a tendency to take root in my own heart, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6. And here's the warning. This is the third warning of four in Hebrews. It says this, or, or this is the warning. It's a warning about the lack 
of progress in spiritual life. There's a warning that comes to us about settling and accepting and becoming complacent in where we're at. And how many know if you know that's human nature? We just tend to enjoy where we're at sometimes and settle right there. But there's a warning that comes to us to leave the elementary principles, and actually says the elementary, elementary principles of Christ, and press on into the mature things. And so it lists out in chapter 6 what some of those elementary principles are. It is where we are in a never-ending cycle of wondering if our sins are forgiven, if God is really for us, if God really has something that he can do with our life. And I know that there have been moments and times and seasons in my life where those questions have been very strong. But I know by entertaining those questions, they erode a courage and a faith to advance forward and accept and settle those inward questions once and for all and stand on a solid foundation in faith in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, knowing that we no longer have a righteousness of our own, but that which is imputed to us from Jesus Christ. That word imputes means to take the qualities of one and ascribe them to, the, uh, to another. God would take the very DNA and life of Christ himself and he would imprint them for all of eternity in the power of a new creation and then he would share that new creation with you and I. That is something that is glorious and that is something that the Holy Spirit wants to unpack in our hearts every single day. The warning that comes to us is to miss that and to be caught up with the fears, the questions that we might have about our position before God, God wants to settle those things. Watchman Nee in his book, The Spiritual Man, would say this. The people there and categorized under the warning of Hebrews chapter 6 would say, the danger is that we become small vessels, easily filled. Easily filled. There are three lives that I want to look at this morning in Scripture very quickly to identify perhaps some areas in our lives where God would want to bring about a miracle, where God would want to answer and settle the inward questions in our heart so that we can move forward into embracing all of God's intended purpose for us as his children and then for the powerful ways that God wants to use our lives to be a light in the midst of a dark world. And you don't have to travel across the world. That can happen across the hallway or across the street. You can start that right now. The first character that I'd like to look at is that of Gideon. And we find his story in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 6, we see the backdrop of a story where God has given the land to the children of Israel. A fruitful land filled with abundant crops and harvests, but there's a problem that we begin to discover here in Judges in that the children of Israel are forced to flee up into the mountains to eke out an existence in dens and caves. In the valley and the fruitful plains have been filled with the enemy. The Bible says that their number could not be counted 
in that they were ravaging the produce and the crops that was designed for the children of Israel. And so every morning, God's people would wake up. They would come out of their cave. They would look over into the valley, and they would see the enemy taking all of their possessions. Gideon was one of those men who lived in the back recess of a dark cave in the shadows, trying to just survive and eke out an existence. We find his story in Judges chapter 6 when an angel comes and knocks on the door of his cave. Looks back there into the darkness and says, Gideon, I'm calling you out. And I see something in you that you cannot see in yourself. I see embedded in your heart the imprint of a mighty conquering warrior. Gideon's response is, God, you made a horrible mistake. You've got the wrong cave. I think you should go down a few few doors down. You're after that guy down there because there is no way that could be true for my life. And then Gideon begins to list out very logical explanation in explaining to God how God has missed it on this one. God, I am the least of my family. My family is the least of all the tribes. You can begin to hear the heart of Gideon and that he has lost and he has been shipwrecked in his faith about believing who he was before God. A.W. Tozer says this, that what comes into our mind when we believe about God is the most important thing about us. I'll add, if I could, to Tozer, not only what we believe about God, but what we believe about ourselves and what God says about us. Tozer would go on to say that the man that comes to the right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. By having a view inspired by the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is and his place in heaven today, working diligently on our behalf, unlocks a flow from heaven into our hearts that will empower us to accept, first of all, God's image of us and become unlimited and boundless in how God would desire to use our lives in this world. But Gideon had a problem. When God came to him, you can begin to hear the angst in Gideon's heart and a little bit of the rawness when he replies to God and said, Lord, if you are with us, then how come all of this has happened to us? He says, I've heard about stories of your wondrous works and power told to, to us by our forefathers, but God, I don't see any of it happening today. Perhaps that is something that subtly finds root in our own heart at times in that like Gideon, we perhaps become shipwrecked in our faith, thinking, who am I that God could use me? Perhaps we have gone through things in the past that have caused us to question that, God, if you're with me, then why have these things happened in my life? And how did I get where I am today? like Gideon living in the shadows of a cave when we're meant to be living in the fruitful plains that God has given us. These were real frustrations in Gideon's heart, real issues that had been built up in his life and in his thinking that had all of a sudden formed a barrier that he couldn't get over. 
that he couldn't move past. If the Bible would tell us in the next chapter, Judges chapter 7, that as one man eventually, God would deliver the entire nation through the hand of Gideon. The great conquest, the great battle that was to take place wasn't the armies of Israel overcoming the Midianites. It was the very battle in the thoughts and the hearts of a young man named Gideon who struggled to believe what God's word says. And all of Satan's strategies against our life are aimed at undermining what, what God says about you. That's how he comes to us. And Gideon had a crisis here. We find that God gives him an instruction in verse 25. The same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Bel and cut down the Asher pole beside it and then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God and on top of this height, using the wood of the Asher pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Gideon was someone who was filled with questions, filled with doubt, and certainly as expressed here in this text, shows us he was one who was riddled with fear. But yet we can see that God calls him to do something significant. To take the very idol that had been erected over their village and over their people and to cut it down. Gideon says, I can only do this at night because of my fear. But he still ascended that hill, cut it down, and took the wood of the Asher pole and made a pile of wood and made an altar out of what the enemy had erected in his life. It made an offering to God and broke the cycle in his own mind and in his own heart of where he limited God's flow and life and fruit coming through him. And I don't know where or how maybe the enemy has come to you. I know he's come to me and erected things in my mind, in my thinking, through his mind-orientated strategies. And maybe things of the past and what you've gone through has begun to build up a perspective that says, how could God use me? How could he use my life? God, if you were with me, then how could all of this happen to me? But God is saying to us this morning, I want you to take that and make an altar out of it. I want you to build a sacrifice to me. Gideon made a pile of wood out of his fears, a pile of wood out of his doubts and out of his questions. And if there was a title for this morning's message, it would be three piles of wood. Gideon made a choice, aided by the help of God, to exalt the Lord over his questions, to exalt the Lord over his fears, to exalt the Lord over even what he believed about himself and say, God, 
I'm putting you first. I'm rendering my past into your hands and saying, Lord, I'm not going to allow it to any longer speak to what you have next in my life. And he lit a match and he burned it right there on a hill over his village and offered and made a sacrifice out of the work of enemy in his heart and life. What a glorious redemptive story that what the devil has meant for evil, God could even use and bring about for your good. God has something for you today and into the future. Gideon would go on to deliver an entire nation because of what God was able to do in overcoming the fears in his heart. The second example that I want to share with you this morning is found in the book of Genesis. It's the story of Abraham. I believe you're all familiar with it. God had lavishly promised to Abraham, had met with him on multiple occasions, had formed a covenant with Abraham, had called him out of his tent and said, look up. You can't count what you're seeing with your eyes and your descendants will be more Yet we know that at times Abraham was challenged and confronted with an internal battle. God, could this really be true? But the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that he considered not the deadness of his own body or the deadness of the womb of his wife, but he staggered not at the promises of God and chose to exalt God even over what he was seeing with his natural eyes. You can begin to see a mechanism of the kingdom of God of exalting God over the things in our life. And finally, God's word came true for Abraham and Sarah. And what they had believed for for so long was now literally in their arms and bouncing on their knee in the form of young Isaac. They had endured and the promise had finally come. And they, I'm sure, spent days playing with the boy and talking with the boy and teaching the boy and were overjoyed in their heart that now this beautiful possession, this blessing, was finally in their hands. But somewhere along that journey, something shifted in the heart of Abraham. And his affection began to be divided. And he began to put his affections more on the boy than on the Lord. And I think you know the story. We find it in Genesis chapter 22, our second pile of wood. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He took a pile of wood and he actually tied it to the back of the promise, his son Isaac. You see, there was a request coming from God and saying, would you give all and keep all of your devotion and affection to me? If you can keep your affection with me, I will meet and grant you the desires of your heart. Colossians reminds us of the words of Paul, to set our affections on things that are above, Paul would turn around and tell his lieutenant Timothy, Timothy, no good soldier 
entangles himself with the affairs of this world. He doesn't live a civilian life, but he lives to please the one who has enlisted him. And there is a natural draw in the human heart and a competition for our devotions. And somewhere when God or Abraham was looking up, his devotions started to move down. And God said, I want all the heart. If you can keep giving me your devotion and your affections and your emotions and meet all of that in me and let me supply everything that your heart desires and what you long for. If you find all of your fullness in me, in your sufficiency in me, then there is no bound or limit to where I can take you. So Abraham got a pile of wood and tied it to the back of his young boy and marched up a hill, much like Gideon had done. And I think we know the story that eventually God in a miraculous provision provides a ram that is caught in the thicket. And the end of the story is very different than what we think it's going to be. What it, one thing it certainly did, it tested the heart of Abraham and God said, Abraham, because you have done this, because you have not withheld your own son, because you have given me and exalted me even over your affections and the, the desires of your heart, and you've proved it, I'm not only going to add to you, but I'm going to multiply to your life. And all that I want to do, not just through you, but for the generations that will follow, will be eternal. And you and I sit in this room today because of what God did in the heart of Abraham. He was make, willing to make an altar even out of the blessings that God had given him. Perhaps we could survey our lives. I'm regularly doing this myself we enjoy the provision that God gives us. We enjoy the, the blessings that we account to God. The psalmist encourages us to forget not all the benefits of God and to let his praise be continually on our lips because of the Lord's mercy and loving kindness. But yet for Abraham, the blessing became a barrier. The blessing started to inhibit his ability to move forward in spiritual progress in life. A warning that the book of Hebrews reminds us. And so let's be grateful for the blessings of God and the provision that God has supplied. But I want to encourage you this morning to be so careful not to allow those blessings to cause you to settle, to draw back, or to somehow begin to take a place that they were meant to propel you and move you forward into greater things for God, not to just huddle around and enjoy for your own benefit. God had something that he wanted to do through Abraham that would birth an entire nation. Abraham had to exalt God even over his affections. And there are so many things that compete for our affections today. Entertainment of the world, sports, if I can say, 
a whole host of things that begin to inflame our heart and bring about a devotion inside of us and an affection that God says, uh, huh, I want it all. I want all of the affection. It doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the things that God gives us in this world or that those things are wrong in themselves, but when something gets off kilter and off balance in our life, in our inability to hear or move forward into greater spiritual maturity is impeded because of an affection that is entangled with the affairs of this world, then God says, huh, I, like, I like that pile of wood and I'd like to, to do something in your heart and I'd like to free you in a way maybe you haven't experienced before in the same way that God freed Gideon and delivered an entire nation in the same way that God freed the heart of Abraham and caused Abraham to birth a nation. Our final character this morning is found in the book of 1 Kings. His name is Elisha. He was the predecessor to Elijah. We find the story in chapter 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Saphat. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come after you. Go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back and listened to these words. Elisha, took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant, the third pile of wood. Here, Elisha, by any standard of the day, was considered a successful entrepreneur and businessman. Twelve yoke of oxen plowing the fields he was right there with his sleeves rolled up, engaged in the activity, standing on the 12th pair. I'm sure that in his days, he was scheming and dreaming about where this could go and how it could supply and the success that was his. And perhaps there was a business plan in his back pocket of all the ways and ideas that he could grow the business until one day he got a tap on the shoulder from Elijah. God said, come after me, follow me. I've got something more than what you could see right now. In the same way that he came to Gideon, in the same way that he came to Abraham, they failed to see or comprehend the things that God had prepared for their lives. Elisha could not begin to imagine that he would work twice as many miracles as his master Elijah, that he would see the heavens opened up, that he would become a leader of the nation, but it came on the back of Elijah making a pile of wood out of his future plans and saying, God, all of my ideas for what happens next, my hopes and dreams and even my security that I'm banking on for where I think my life is going, Lord, I'm going to exalt you even over my future and even over my current success. Lord, 
I'm going to make an altar out of those things. I'm giving them to you. Elisha would come out of that field and begin in a hot pursuit of his master, Elijah, and we begin to go on to be one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. We read of his stories in the book of Kings and how God worked valiantly through him. Three piles of wood. Obstacles that had been erected in the hearts of men and women all of a sudden became the very kindling for a sacrifice that moved them out of a place of lack of progress in spiritual life to break those cycles and move into an abundance and a flow and a fruitfulness that only God could work in and through them. And in closing here this morning, 2,000 years ago, there was a man who had a pile of wood on his back and ascended a hill called Calvary and made a sacrifice out of himself to do an eternal work in our heart and to bring us into living and constant fellowship with God. And as he laid down his life, surrendered it, having clothed himself with the sin of humanity, made just like his brethren in every way, took our old nature, our carnal nature, that God could not fix, that God could not remedy, that God could not salvage. The only solution was that Christ would embrace it, go to a cross on a pile of wood and make an altar before God and forever extinguish its power in the grave and bury it forever. Then what waited on the other side of that was a glorious resurrected life. And that life, God shares with you and I today through the power of a new creation. Christ stands in heaven and ministers the contents of that package and unfolds its mysteries and its beauties for all of them who look and see Jesus as the exalted one. And the places that God wants to take us and the obstacles and barriers that get erected in our lives, God has a remedy for. We see God's remedy and also demonstrate it in what our Savior did on our behalf to bring us into fellowship with God. So maybe there's something in your life today. For Gideon, it was his past, and his questions about where was God, for Abraham, it was his present circumstances with a promise on his lap. And for Elijah, it was his future, his future plans and the ideas that he had. Maybe there's something in your past, your present, or your future right now that God would invite you to join him in yielding to him. And whatever that is that might have hindered you or held you back, can be the very fuel to launch you into what God 
has in store for those who he loves. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your beautiful word and its power in our lives to change. Father, there is no obstacle that's too great for you. That truly what is impossible with men is made possible with God. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to hearts all across this room this morning. And Father, you would begin to help lives in practical and real ways where fears have existed, where questions about you, your plans for our life. God, if you're with me, then why is this happening to me? God, I pray that we could have a room filled with Gideons who say, you know what? All those fears, all those questions, I'm gonna make an altar out of them and I'm gonna give them to the Lord. Father, I pray that you would do this beautiful work in our hearts. Father, that your glorious life in heaven would be unraveled before us and I join with the prayer of Paul in Ephesians that you would grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that you would open the eyes of our understanding and you would show us the glorious inheritance that we have as your children and that you would draw our attention and our affection upward to have all of our needs fully satisfied by you. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in hearts all across this room. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.